Welcome to the Character Combine Podcast. I'm Josh Takimoto. And I am Deb McCollum. And our guest today, we're super excited to have him. He comes all the way from a time zone of a difference of three hours. Um, <laughs> we have the immense performance coach for the Tampa Bay Rays, and he's also the host of the Increase Your Impact podcast, Justin Sua. Justin, how are you? I'm doing great, guys. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, thank you so much for, um, you know, jumping on and this is, a, I don't know what number of guests is he, Josh, for, with our Zoom podcast, because we're, we're getting pretty good at interviewing guests through Zoom now. <laughs> at least we, at least we think so. I think, yeah. uh, five. I think he might be the fifth uh, Zoom guest. So yeah. Nice. Take nice. that for what it's worth. Congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> Thank yeah. you very much. <laughs> yeah. We wish you were here with us in person. I mean, yeah. aside from this minus the whole pandemic thing going on. Uh, but this is the best way so far. So we really appreciate you being here and hopping on and taking time out of your day to talk to us. Absolutely. So grateful to be with you guys and looking forward to the, to the conversation. Yeah. Awesome. Before we, before we get started with all of the the nonsense and the questions we have for you, how are you guys doing? How's your family doing this time? And how's everything going? Yeah. Thanks for asking it. We're, we're, we're doing, we're doing well. We're doing well considering the fact that all of us are in this storm and everyone's experiencing it, experiencing it at different intensities Uh, as for the Sua home. uh, Yeah. There's a, there's a little bit of a rock the boat a little bit, but we're, we're doing, we're doing well. Good, good. We're glad glad to hear that for sure. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Good. Yeah, good, good. Um, so, Justin, before we um, ask questions all about you, which we can't wait to get to, um, I have some warm-up questions for you. Okay, let's warm up. They're, they're not meant to be tough. The last one is meant to be a tough question. Um, so, okay, here we go. Here's the first one. If you had a magic genie and you were granted three wishes, what would they be? Oh, my gosh. Yes, we'll tell <laughs> right off the bat. Pretty good. Um, man, no, that's, that's good. Probably... Um, uh, health for all my family, um, it just, it just it, it health for everybody, uh, probably something to the, um, something that having to do with, uh, uh, eliminating debt for all family and like helping people climb out of my family's debt. And then yeah. something to the, something to the point to where, uh, something about, I don't know, putting my family and every, all my loved ones in a position to be able to do what they love and not really worry about money. And maybe that two and three has something to do with it, but, uh, but some, something to that, to that extent. Hey, that was good. That was awesome. That's pretty good. That's a fast answer to that. That's a hard question too. As I'm writing That's it, That's a I'm tough like, question. Wow. Now I'm, I'm gearing up for the rest of them. That was hard. <laughs> <laughs> As I was writing it, I was like, am I mean for asking that? Because that's kind of hard. I don't even know what my answer would be. <laughs> so that was good. I like that one. All right. Um, I don't know if this next one is more difficult or but this next one is. <laughs> if you were stranded on an island for two weeks and you only had three items with you to survive, what would they be? Uh, definitely Wi-Fi. I think everyone would say yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> um, a journal, a journal, and uh, and and probably um, uh, a stack of books. Like I don't know okay. that, or or what, I could even just say one book. Um, actually, I haven't even booked for two weeks. So I've got a journal. I got Wi-Fi, and then um, I mean, shoot, I, I think about. 
I have so many questions about this. Do I have lights? Do I have like, <laughs> I mean, I just say water to survive if, if that's the case. If it's island, yeah. island, water to survive. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. In <laughs> Sorry, my head, these are boring answers. No, no that's, that's great. That's good. Well, and I should have been more specific. In my head, I'm thinking of like, survivor style like oh. you're on an, like you it's just you and oh, it's like you know, I I rant. okay yeah, yeah like you don't so, have okay <laughs> so unlimited water oh so i would have obviously so matches uh, a machete and uh, <laughs> uh and 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 some kind of uh some kind of um for food I, I think maybe just matches a machete. We'll, 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 and we'll go from there. We'll leave. We'll give the third item to somebody else. Oh my God. Those <laughs> were such, I love it because those were such different answers. Like the first yeah. one was like, like resort style Island. And the second yeah. one is like, no, this is like survivor. Like, I'm yeah, we're surviving. Island. Exactly. <laughs> that, that was, was good, great. Though. You were, uh, you were Super. ready for both though. So that was very right. nice. Prepared. <laughs> Vac vacation or survival. <laughs> Justin's ready. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Um, awesome. good job so far. And then the third one is my signature question. I ask all my guests and it's called, um, I, it's pretty much like, what is your life song? If you can think of a song that's already out there and recorded that, um, is just, you, you hear that song and you're like, yep, that's me. Or yes, that describes my life or that describes the time that I'm going through right now. What would your, I call, I like to call it a life song. What would your life okay, song Okay, so be? with no chance to think immediately, I heard, -na 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 -na. like the eye of the tiger popped in my mind, like immediately. Uh, nice. Oh, and good. So, uh, if, and and who, when we're done with this call, as I'm thinking about it, maybe later another song will pop up, but knee jerk reaction, uh, eye of the tiger. Nice. That <laughs> is awesome. That's awesome. You're like a pro at these questions. These are like I know. answers. I'm just, I'm He's like, like killing yeah, it. Shooting from the hip. Shooting from the hip. <laughs> that's why. That's why you're the mental uh, conditioning coach because you're so quick. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. Dude, that was awesome. Well, you survived the warm up question. Great. Okay. I can take a deep breath now. I can take a deep breath. Yeah. The, the rest of the stuff is the rest of the stuff is easy. Yeah. We like to make our guests very nervous before we. Yeah. Ask it works. It works. Themselves. It works. <laughs> right. It's all, it's all downhill awesome. from here. So you should be good. Okay. Yeah. Great. Yeah. That was so, great. Uh, so we'd like to start off all of our guests with this, the same simple question of what is your athletic and coaching background and how did you get to the place you're at right now? Yeah, so athletic background, I got all the way up to, uh, I'd say, a playing uh, collegiate baseball, the Division One at, at BYU. And then as far as coaching, then from there I went in to be a uh, – I was a travel baseball coach for, we started as little nine-year-olds and then moved to eight, uh, 10, 11, all the way up to 12 years old. Um, and then taught, taught like one-on-one -on -one sessions to high schoolers and so forth. But uh, as far as the actual position coaching, that's where I went. But uh, now my title being a mental performance coach, uh, coaching a different, from in a different domain with different levels of athletes now, but uh, still, in, still considering myself a coach and grateful to be still wearing a uniform. Um, and so, yeah, so that's, um, so that's, that's where I've been. Awesome. So how did you become interested in the whole like performance psychology aspect of mental coaching? Like where did that come from and where did that start? Oh, it is a crazy whirlwind of a story and the journey. And so I would say, uh, so it, it we love stories. Really, yeah, okay, great. Okay, great. So my, my life has taken a lot of pivots and twists and turns. And, and it's funny because if you were to ask me five years ago that this is what I would be doing and where I would be, I would be like, you're joking. Like that doesn't even exist. And yeah. uh, just to give you a little understanding. And so if anyone's out there and they're listening to this, they're like, and they're thinking of doing something crazy, it's like, go for it. Because I started, I 
from a young, young age, I wanted to be a baseball player. I just want, my dad played for the Dodgers and the Milwaukee Brewers organizations. Um, never got to the big leagues, but baseball was our life. And I grew up wanting to follow his footsteps. And, but, but the honestly, before that, I wanted to be a cowboy at first and then a ninja and then a baseball player. And so just <laughs> I wanted to right. So went baseball for a long time, got into college, played while I was playing baseball at BYU. I was getting my degree in broadcast journalism. Oh. As baseball was continuing on, I just, two things happened. I started to get injured um, I, a lot. And then my love for the sport started to, started to, to diminish. And then number three is just, I wasn't that good. Just to be quite honest, I just, I, I noticed, you know what? I, I'm not as good as, as it, it, I need to be to go to the next level. So I, start, I played, played four years there, but then I went all in in sports broadcasting. The first person I ever had a mic in front of, uh, there was a group of us that had a mic was Kobe Bryant. And for a oh. lot of people, it's like, wow, this is amazing. This is great. When I was done with that little interview, I thought, this is the wrong job for me. Like, I, I, I don't want to do this. I don't enjoy it. I don't want to put a microphone in front of an athlete's face. I want to help them. But I don't want to be a, a coach. I want to help them in some other way. I didn't know what that meant. This was back in 2004 or five or something like that. So then I went in to be a high school teacher. So I was a high school teacher for years, married with three kids at the time, and doing everything was, everything was great. But deep down, while I was teaching high school, I would tell my wife, hey, one day I'm going to help athletes. One day I'm going to help athletes. I'm going to work with athletes. Not knowing in what, by the way. Um, and my wife, one night, she's the most supportive, loving, go get them person I know. And one night she said, while we're about to go to bed, lights were off. She's like, you're all talk. And I remember thinking, is she joking? And so I turned the lights on and look at her. I said, wait, what? She goes, you're all talk. So what do you mean I'm all talk? She goes, you always talk about helping athletes and doing these things and speaking to them and inspiring them, but you've done nothing about it. You're all talk. And that literally was the day that changed the trajectory of my career. The next morning I woke up, I looked up uh, grad school degrees and being in the, in the Provo, Utah, Orem area, there, I looked at what BYU had and the University of Utah had uh, offered for degrees. And the University of Utah was offering a degree called the psychosocial aspect of sport, or in other words, sports psychology. I didn't really, I kind of heard of it, uh, but I didn't know what that meant. I looked up the courses, teaching people how to enhance motivation, the science of confidence, the science of, of, of uh, performance optimization. And I was like, this is my calling. This is what I need to do. Yeah. I, I got in. I was in academic probation to start pretty much because none of my courses in undergrad covered those prerequisites. And so they're like, mm -hmm. okay, we don't know how rigorous you can be in this. And so um, I was in academic probation right off the bat, which is understandable. So I was late in my life. So I was 27, uh, late in my life, late in my 20s. Late in my 27 is not late in life, everybody. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so in my late 20s, in my late, married with three kids, teaching high school, having, coaching baseball, and then driving 45 minutes to an hour every day to get my degree in sports psychology. We couldn't afford it. It was crazy. And uh, got the degree. Once I got the degree, I stopped going, I'd being a high school teacher. And that was scary. Now we don't have that two-week paycheck coming in, no medical insurance, and I went all in on myself. So I was a waiter, I was a baseball coach, and I had my side sports psychology hustle. Started working with youth athletes, started working with dancers and cheerleaders and baseball players, and then it started to grow, and then it started to grow, and then the Army reached out, 
And then a place called the IMG Academy reached out. And the Boston wow. Red Sox reached out. The NFL wow. reached out. The Browns, the Rays. And, uh, and here we are talking to you guys. So it's been quite the journey. You make the last part sound so easy. Uh, it was <laughs> You're not. like, they reached out. I was like, what? <laughs> it That's is. Okay, I, I sped the, the last part up, but it has been the wildest, craziest, hardest, most exciting, messiest wow. journey. And uh, we've been scared. We've had a double digits amount of money in our checking and savings accounts. And uh, and we've, wow. we've hated moments and we've loved moments. And uh We'll see how the rest of the journey continues. A lot of no's, a lot of uh, no responses, a lot of uh, mm -hmm. learned lessons from the good times, from the bad times. But uh, it's been it's been fun. Wow, yeah, that's that's crazy. And what a what a weird what a weird thing too, right? Like you're making that decision to transition into something that you're passionate about, and while you're doing that, like you said, you're going through the stresses, the ups and the downs. And what a what a weird way of putting your profession to the test, like in real time, like everything that you're teaching these guys, like, Oh, I'm doing that same thing right now, but it's real. Like, I don't know if I'm going to, how are my next paycheck's going to come from? I'm, how am I going to support my family? The stress, what a weird, what a weird thing to go through and then put that mental conditioning to the test. <laughs> that is so true. Yeah. A lot of times I would even tell myself, all right, you got to practice what you preach. You got to practice yeah. what you preach. But at the same time, what's also cool too is that I, I did have bouts of, of struggle where I, I, I second guessed myself and, and, I, and to show and to realize that, hey, we're all human and even, we might get into it later on, these elite athletes have really bad days and they get sad and angry and it's cool to, to have such a front row seat uh, to these top performers to be to help real for, because I realize that yeah they doubt themselves they lack confidence they're insecure they're they lack focus and they have a really amazing ability to bring it back and sometimes they don't they just rely on their strength their their talent to get them through but uh but yeah I went through a lot of ups and downs on a personal level as well and uh, moments were that I'm where I wasn't the greatest example and uh, but the moments were where it's okay uh, we just put the seatbelt on and our family did the same and. Uh, here we are just bumbling along. Yeah. Wow. That's awesome. Do you get, so do you get the story you just told us, do you get to use that story as like a testimony for some of your clients and athletes? Because that is, that in and of itself is a lot of mental work to push through, to get through with all the unknowns with you like quit, you know, your job and you took on different side jobs to actually do what you want to do and be what your you know wife called you of, you know, you're all talk and you were actually yeah. doing so that mental push you get to use that to talk to your clients about that sometimes sometimes yeah, yeah. sometimes i'll share it uh, i like to uh, a lot of, most of the times it is about them and i won't i mm -hmm. won't uh, i think it's it's uh, a lot of maybe not a lot of people i personally try not to insert my own stories or this is how what i did and this because for some people it could be a turn off, but for some people it's like, Oh, I do like that story. And so mm -hmm. to answer your question, yes, I have done that sometimes yeah. um, when, when it's needed. Uh, but, but usually not. And the times I usually get to share the story is in platforms like this, but, uh, but it's always neat recounting it. Cause then even myself listening to, so I'm like, wow, that's crazy. But to look, to be able to pause and to look back to see yeah. uh, how far, how far we've come. Yeah. And yeah, then another, amazing. and then what did you teach in high school? So I would, so I taught something called seminary. So it was like, it was like religion really. And so, uh, gotcha. so yeah, so it's, uh, yeah. so that taught me valuable lessons too, because kids don't want to know, they don't care about that subject. <laughs> and, so it's like, and so that really taught me, honestly, it taught me how to um, effectively teach 
How do you teach a topic that nobody wants to hear about to teenagers? And so I had to get creative. And right. so it actually really helped me do what I do now because uh, you got to use kinesthetic learning. You got to uh, involve them, make it fun, but, but also uh, teach um, teach effectively and make sure you're teaching topics. So those, those, uh, 14 to 17 year old kids taught me a lot. It's <laughs> full circle. Oh, for sure. Yes. <laughs> well, kind of on that, on that, a similar, uh, in a similar lane. So you have, I think sometimes when you think of, um, mental condition, you think of motivation and stuff like that, we think of, um, you know, like the rah, rah, the motivational speaker on the stage, like Tony Robbins, right. That makes the, the crowd go wild. And, um, but for coaches, I think, you don't necessarily have to be a type A personality, right? To be a leader and effective leader. Um, it kinda, it's kind of working within your skill set, right? Just like you said, it's like, okay, I have this, this classroom full of kids that maybe don't care about this subject, but I've got to figure out how to make it work. And I imagine the same thing is with a coach who has a certain type of personality. I've got to lead these young men or women. Uh, I don't have the rah-rah personality, but I can still lead effectively. How much do you think that goes into a coach's mentality when they start leading young people? I'm so glad you brought that up because uh, people will, and, and, and no, I mean, it's not a bad thing, but, oh, you're a motivational speaker. Oh, you teach motivation. The reality is I haven't said the word motivation in like almost a decade because <laughs> I don't, I'm not a motivator. We don't talk motivation, particularly with the elite athletes. Like they do not need motivation. They are driven. They are self-driven. They're self uh uh, and so we don't talk about that at all. Uh, a lot of times with younger athletes, youth athletes, uh, yes, motivation is heavily involved in creating an environment to where they motivate themselves as opposed to, okay, how do I motivate the athletes? No, it's how do you create an environment to where they motivate themselves? That was talked about early in my career. But yeah, motivation and a motivational speaker, um, yes, that's a, it's, it's a common shtick and label that's put on uh, our field me myself because i am more higher energy um but uh but it's totally understandable so i, I appreciate you bringing it up into to your actual question i think you hit the nail on the head in that a lot of people coaches uh will look at a person like uh, i'll just throw the like a pj fleck uh who's the head coach at minnesota uh, football who's super energetic a pete carroll head football coach at seattle seahawks super energetic and think okay, that's how I have to be. And the reality is, no, there are so many different ways to do it. There's the Nick Saban. There's the, there's the Joe Torres with baseball. There's a lot of different coaches. Uh, the Pat Summits of, of, of Tennessee, when she's at Tennessee, Tennessee. And so the best way to coach is the, the, the best style to coach is the style that's most authentic to you. The most stress that is called, a person can experience most, a lot of stress when they try to act, act outside of their own core values, their own uh, way of thinking, their own way of doing things. And I think that is the, that's a, it's, it's a trap. It's easy because of social media, you read what athletes say, how they, why they love their coaches and coaches will be like, okay, that's how I need to be. The reality is no, be the best version of yourself. If you're, if you're more of an introvert, lean into that. That's okay. If you're more of an extrovert, that's okay. But I think the common key principle to elite coaching is building relationships so strong that it can bear the weight of truth. And that comes in, in, in the cliche phrase, they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And that is number one, based on my experience with, with elite athlete or really elite coaches, rather, I've seen 
very energetic ones. I've seen not so energetic ones. I've seen those who yell in, at, at players and those who barely talk. And each one of them were effective in their own way. Yeah, that's awesome. And I've, I always felt like, so if you have a, a type A personality that's maybe louder, more vocal, I feel like that's always, that places a, a higher emphasis or a higher value on their actions, right? Like the way they live their life, it's got to match up with all these crazy words that they're saying. And then vice versa, if you have a B type personality, then you're kind of leading by example for the majority of your leadership. But then on the flip side, when you do speak, it holds a lot more weight too, because it's just kind of the polar opposite and it's almost unexpected. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So it's really interesting. And something that you said earlier, I want to go back to as far as how, you know, elite athletes don't um, need that motivation. At what point typically, like what, at what age does that, like do those athletes separate themselves from the pack? Is it towards the end of high school? Is it when they go to college? Is it beyond college? Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I think it depends on the person, really, because I've seen really motivated 12-year-olds. I've seen 12-year-olds who get after it. Um, I've seen then high schoolers, a little bit more in high school, a little bit more in college, a little bit more pro, and then at the highest, highest level, you see athletes who are almost obsessed, possessed by the pursuit of excellence. And I think, I don't know if I think it's more of a uh, not necessarily at what age the pendulum uh, kind of like swings the other way. I think you'll see pockets of it. Uh, it just, the, the higher and the further along you get um, at your sport or your domain, the more you see like these people end up loving it. These athletes are really good at it. And then it becomes less motivated by it and more of they do it because of their, their love for it. And then they're, they're, insatiable desire to be great if not the best in the world and so i don't know i think you i mean to give you a clear straight answer in my experience i've seen it depend the big it goes from high school to college i think once you hit college then i see a lot more motivated uh, athletes than you do see in high school because a lot of times high school kids are either forced by parents to be in there or still or 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 I, I don't know there's other things going along that maybe they're they don't enjoy it as much maybe uh the, the, they don't enjoy the culture of the team maybe they're playing high school sport only because their best friend is on the team and they really don't love it once you see college level um that's where they're they tend to be a little bit more motivated generally speaking and then pro even more and then the highest level of professional even even more so cool nice wow and then do you see a difference in um i guess your mental coaching like strategies um between different sports like football and baseball yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So now it, so there's a number of different nuances and variables to it. So team sports versus individual sports, completely mm. different. Yeah. Um, we have, we have, uh, we have thinking sports, like a, baseball is a team sport, but there's a lot of time in between. And so that that sport is way different than working with football players where, and basketball, where it's a lot more fluid and there's a lot more physical yeah. contact, even right. position by position quarterbacks versus middle linebackers receivers versus the kickers like that is a completely different mindset um and even and even the same player in a different situation a catcher who's hitting versus the catcher who's playing who's the actual catcher a defensive sign that's a completely different mindset and so understanding the nuances a lot of times is not just one blanket okay everyone focus on what you can control or whatever it's it's a lot you got to get into the weeds to understand the intricacies of the sport and even the level under and even so not just baseball major league baseball versus 
A-ball baseball or minor league baseball, completely different, completely a different approach. The age of the player, the money that's involved, the pressure that's involved, arbitration and contracts at the major league level uh, versus just getting into the sport, fighting for their spot to the major league. And so, yes, there are so many uh, uh, variables to take in consideration, uh, even culture. A culture where they're from like uh, uh, an athlete from germany versus an athlete from russia versus from china and japan uh, age gender all of these things when i sit down with someone are all running through my head to take into consideration wow that's awesome okay so this wow. is where this is where we start getting in trouble on our podcast because i have so many questions based off what <laughs> and we just start going down all these rabbit trails um so to your point of like specific positions that i don't know why you know these two positions came to my head but a dh for baseball yeah it could be a really interesting one as far as their mental preparation because you hit and then you sit on the bench and i know there's a lot more to it but basically that is the ba most basic understanding of it and then a kicker in football where you don't know when you're going to be in the game and you don't know exactly if you're gonna, you know kick an extra point or if you're gonna have to kick potentially the game winning or losing field goal what are those processes like for positions like that because you're kind of like it's almost like an individual athlete in a mm -hmm. team sport you are absolutely right. You're absolutely right. And, awesome. and in both cases, in both yeah. cases, for example, I, so, so the DH, like you say, for those who are the designated hitter, for those who are not familiar with baseball, this is a sport, this is a position where you pretty much all, your only job is to do the hardest thing in sports <laughs> to hit yeah. this ball and you hit it and then you don't get another chance for like 45 minutes later while you sit there and let it fester. And so you have to come up with some kind of strategy to disassociate, to be able to focus and to refocus, to modulate your energy and your emotions, to be able to mentally be ready to get up to the plate so you don't bring your last at bat to it. Now you might be thinking, well, don't all players do that? Not necessarily because all the other players, they could quote unquote make up for a bad at bat by making a great play on defense. And so they could do, and then I can kind of even almost, they could impact the game in another way as a designated hitter if that's the only way you do it. Same exact thing with the kicker, as you mentioned. Your job is to come in at high leverage situations and you don't know when that's going to be. You prepare for it, but you don't know what's, what it's going to be. So these guys in particular have to have certain routines to be able to really flush their emotions and stay cool under pressure, particularly learning from failure. Because one of the things that, that really obstructs learning are strong negative emotions or, or like feelings of embarrassment, feelings of anger, feelings of, 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 uh, of rage, all these things. And when you get your one shot to do it and you miss, it's going to be very, it's, it's hard. It's hard on the person. You replay it over and over and it's a hit to your confidence and you don't have the chance to go out there. So these guys do a lot of work replaying positive tapes in their mind or, or, or visualizing themselves being successful. It is I'd say it's two, it's some, two of the hardest jobs like under the radar that people don't realize that, that uh, that's out there. You, you're absolutely right. Awesome. Yeah. Go ahead, Deb. I, like I said, I have a million questions. I don't want to take oh, no. over. I, I'm telling you, this is the part where I'm like sitting back and I feel like I'm just a listener in the audience because <laughs> I love everything you're saying. No, that's just, I think that's so important for a coach to know. Um, especially a new coach. So, um, and this is a question that just came in my head that I usually ask later, but um, do you have any um, advice for coaches who are uh, high school coaches? I'll just, you know, narrow it down to that, that are in a position to be a head coach 
or a first time um, assistant coach with a big role with how to deal with all the intricacies of the different aspects of all the players. Um, yeah. aside, aside from forming relationships with them, I guess, I guess what's a nugget, a piece of advice or a few that you have for them? That is such a great, because that's a good question for these coaches because I can imagine being a coach listening to this Yeah, and that's overwhelming. Like, wait, I have to consider all of these things before, like, and then now yeah. you're walking on eggshells. What do I say? How can I say it? These professional yeah. coaches, they have someone like Lauren Johnson, who you had on the podcast, like myself, like these other mental performance coaches who are doing that job. That's their sole job to help them out and navigate. But we have these high school coaches who they're the athletic trainers. They're the mental skills coaches. They're the assistant coaches. They're every role. And so how do we help them with that? And I think in addition to building these relationships, I think what it comes down to ultimately our job is to be effective question answers, uh, question askers, noticers, and, and, and listeners. And I think that right there is so huge. I think the mirror, I, I think it comes down to this. Are you a mirror approach coach? Or are you a magnifying glass approach coach? A mirror approach coach is when you look in a mirror, you see yourself. What am I going to say? What am I going to do? What am I, what, 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 what am I going to look like? What's my record going to be? What's my program going to be like? That's the mirror approach. Now, the magnifying glass approach, the coaching in any domain or teaching or parenting or leading is thinking more about the athletes or the people you're leading. What, what are they going to do today? What are they going to say? How am I going to create an environment where they motivate themselves? And a lot of times is having those conversations, short conversations, being able to know simple things like when their birthdays are or what classes they have, what are their parents' names, even how do they like to receive feedback? Uh, what's their relationship like with failure? What's their, when they see some, so the five things I really want to know about a person when I sit down with them is number one, tell me about one of the most difficult failures you've ever experienced and how did you overcome it? Uh, number two, I'd like to understand the obstacles. How do you view obstacles, hard things? When you're asked to do something difficult, do you like hard things? Do you not like it? Do you like the easier route? Uh, number three is I want to I observe their effort level. I want to pay attention to how hard do they go when they don't feel good. I want to listen to what they, how they talk in terms of do they give their best effort when they're losing? Do they continue to give their best effort when they're winning? Number, number four, I want to pay attention to their response to feedback. Do you like receiving critical feedback? How do you like receiving it? Can I give it to you straight up? And then number five, I want to pay attention to them when somebody else succeeds. How do they respond? Are they jealous? Are they threatened? And so as a head coach, observing, paying very close attention, um, and, and, and you could even explicitly ask these questions to these athletes to be able to help them out. And, um, and I think if you do that, you're going to be able to gather so much information by just talking to them and asking questions and non-judgmentally listening to them just so that they can feel more comfortable to share more and more. That goes such a long way. Wow. That's real. Awesome. That's great advice. Thank you. And I've seen that. I've seen that. And I used to be a coach and just going through that and watching my friends coaching or watching programs. Um, I definitely see a difference when I know that coaches are doing similar steps, like you just said, you know, just getting to know them and listening and making them feel comfortable and making them, you know, the athletes feel like they could trust the coach versus a coach that just yells, 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 talks, 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 and doesn't receive anything back from the players. 
there's a yeah. huge difference in how the players play, how, you know, they react in the games and just it, there's a huge difference. Yeah. And, and I, and I, and I, I'm glad you said that. And one more thing to add to that long list I just gave, uh, um, I think creating an environment of psychological safety. So what mm -hmm. psychological safety is basically that the players feel safe to fail. They feel mm -hmm. safe that if I fail during a drill, I'm not going to get destroyed because I failed. We're, we're drilling right now. We're working on getting better. And one way to do that is for coaches to share, as Sarah Blakely, the owner of Spang, self-made billionaire, female billionaire, she talks about sharing her oops with their organization. I think coaches, when they share their failures with their teams, hey, I goofed up on this, guys. My bad. I made a bad call here. This is to show players that, hey, we can fail. We're, we're, we're going to fail, and it's okay. Now, I will say this. Not all failures are created equal. So if a player shows up unprepared or shows up late, oh, sorry, coach, I failed. I'm going to learn from that. No, 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 no. We're not talking <laughs> about that kind of failure. That is just, that, that's just laziness. That's lack of feel. That's, that's self or whatever it may be. Not all failures are created equal. I'm talking about the failures where you try your best and it just doesn't work out. And so those are the, those are the failures that I'm talking about. And another thing I hear as well, I think coaches who yell get a bad rap sometimes, especially these days. I am not um, – uh, I just had a conversation with someone. I am not anti-yelling, and I think sometimes, it, yeah, you, you can yell. And maybe all the time you yell. I, I think some – it's the contents, the content of your yelling, what's coming out, how it's coming out. Uh, some coaches – I know beloved coaches who are loved by their players who yell all the time but the players know that coach loves them. And so I think a lot of times I've, I've heard some, um, some episodes. Oh yeah. Oh, I, I don't, or, Oh man, that person yells. And, and I, it's not that you said, it. I was just talking to somebody about this the other day. And um, yeah, I think uh, I don't, some yell, some don't, some talk a lot, some don't talk at all. And I think you could be effective in, in any of them and you could be ineffective in a lot of those. Some people, the, the, even the, the subtle quiet coach, that doesn't necessarily mean it's effective as well. And so, uh, so yeah, I just, uh, to all the coaches who do tend to be yellows out there, it's not necessarily a bad thing. Yeah, yeah. I, ab I absolutely agree. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Good. Well, I think yeah. like we've talked a lot on this podcast before about, I think people sometimes uh, mistake, um, you know, criticism for um, uh, construction, constructive, you know, it's not a constructive thing. They think yelling, oh, it's, it's auto automatically a negative thing where no, it, it could still, have a very a positive effect it all like you said it depends on the pulse of the team and the pulse of that coach um, yeah but i think from the outside you hear someone yelling it's like oh that person lost their mind this is not good yeah yeah exactly, <laughs> exactly. and sometimes they do but yeah you're sometimes absolutely they do. Right. yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yep, so true so um yeah. you know to take it in a completely different direction this is a question that i've been very excited to ask you because i i'm a big baseball fan and all of our listeners know that so uh, obviously you've you know you've worked in baseball you're currently with the rays and the Rays are known as a team. It's always on the, it seems like they're always on the cutting edge of on-field strategy, you know, how they scout, things like that. And so I know over the last couple of years, it's, I think it's something that baseball's adopted a lot more um, in, a, in the last mm -hmm. couple of years, but something such as the opener, right? A, a closer coming in at the beginning of the game rather than at the end of the game. And I think it's known by a lot of people that there's a specific mindset that closers have. And that's the reason why they can come in in that high leverage situation. So when you switch that up completely and you start putting them at, in the first inning, and it, I can imagine someone who's played the game of baseball for a long time, a sport that's very much rooted in tradition. Mm -hmm. I imagine that could mess with their mindset, even going into a, a you know organization saying, okay, this is kind of how we do things. So be prepared. 
we might switch it up on you. And then also just in game, like how that would mess with you. Is that something that as a uh, conditioning coach, you have to address prior to them even, you know, jumping on the field? Yes, I think as a mental conditioning coach, as a pitching coach, as a manager, I think all of us will uh, are, are attacking that from the exact same angle. And I think uh, you, you are absolutely right. And I will compare it to a player or e- anyone who is, who is either promoted to a position or asked to do something different in your job, to ask to play a different position or go to a different sport where it's going to require a completely different approach. And as we talked about early on in this episode about uh, – about just uh, high leverage situations and how mindset depends on different positions and where you are, exact same thing. And so if you're a reliever and you're known to come in in high leverage situations, and what I mean by high leverage, meaning game on the line, bottom of the ninth, runners in scoring position, crowd is going crazy. Some guys, that is what that is what lights them on fire. That's what gets them locked in. Uh, closers, rather, uh, we're talking about relievers, and they live for it. And then you ask that guy to start the game. Now you're not pitching in the ninth inning with the game on the line. You're going to pitch in the first inning when people are, haven't even got to their seats yet, and people haven't even broken open their first can, uh, box of Cracker Jacks and. Uh, and, and, and you're asked to pitch. And so that, that leverage moment, that motivate, that the external motivators aren't there. How are you going to motivate yourself? How are you going to get yourself in the moment to be able to pound the zone? And so, yes, that definitely takes uh, some work and some, um, some practice to get your mind in, in the right place. And they all do it a different way. Now, also, the starting pitcher who's used to starting the game, now it's like, okay, now you're going to come in at the second or the third inning. That's going to take some adjustment and some getting used to as well. But you hit the nail on the head. And you also talked about a very key phrase, I think, to coaching, which is priming. I think priming is one of the unsung heroes to coping with adverse situations. What I mean by priming, it's when a coach grabs his team or her team, and right before they go into a situation to warn them for things that are coming ahead. Hey, just so you guys know, this is going to be a very hostile environment. The crowd is going to be crazy. They're going to yell at you and we have to be prepared for it. Or, Hey, just so you guys know, this is a, this is a very good team. Uh, they're probably going to take the lead, but we're going to, if they take the lead, we're not going to give up. So basically priming is telling your players what's going to happen before it happens so that it doesn't trigger them emotionally, the amygdala, it activates their prefrontal cortex, they're scanning for it, and when that adversity happens, not if, but when it happens, they can say, oh, coach told us this might happen, coach warned us about this, good, we're mentally prepared for this to carry on, and so that's what we try to do as well at the, at the, at the professional uh, level with players to say, hey, it's going to be different starting as opposed to coming into the game, uh, opening instead of ending it, but, uh, but hey, we know you have the stuff for it, you can figure it out, and uh, go get them. And so I think that's uh, that's the approach that we take. Awesome. I love wow. It. That's great. Uh, sorry. Deb, I'm thinking of, oh no, I'm just in my head. I'm thinking the whole time I'm thinking coach Truesdale, coach Truesdale. Yeah. Coach Truesdale. <laughs> she, co- we talk about her a lot. She's, um, a, awesome. um, I work at a high school and she's a high school softball coach there. She's a legend around here. We've had her on twice and that's something she's really good at doing. Oh, nice. Her. She does a great job. I, the whole time that's what I was thinking of. And that's why I that's, think her program is so successful. 
That's awesome. I uh, so yeah. before I was uh, with the Red Sox and the Brown IMG Academy, one of my first uh, units or uh, demographics I worked with were soldiers in the Army. So I was stationed mm -hmm. at Fort Sam Houston and worked with the combat medics and warriors in transition, which are also known as like wounded warriors and with as civilians when they get outside of the war uh, out of the army but uh, i'll never forget that these combat medics were about to deploy in, in, into war and the, the the ceo the commanding officer is standing in front of them and and he primed them he goes all right he goes you're about to go into a hostile situation but yeah but and he talked about being a vuca trained vuca v-u-c-a volatile uncertain ambiguous and chaotic you're trained for these moments. It's going to be difficult. You're going to be scared. You're going to see terrible things. Uh, people who are in this room that you love might not make it back. And so I, to, and to see the soldiers sitting there and then igniting their heads, all right, like he's warning us of worst case scenario, went up to him afterwards. And I said, that's awesome. He goes, and he told me, he's like, you have to prime them. Because if I didn't say that, when adversity hits, all of a sudden they're going to get overly emotional and they're going to panic. And they're not going to be as effective. And so as leaders, you have to prime them for worst case scenario, but also you have to train them for worst case scenario so that you can say, hey, when this happens, just so you know, we did all these drills to help you for that. We did all this mental skill training to help you for that. You're prepared. You're prepared. And so, uh, so yeah, that's, uh, that, that's cool to hear that, that that coach does it as well. Yeah. yeah that's awesome. Uh, something you mentioned talking about, you know, um, the soldiers being in that, in that environment of chaos and, you know, danger and all those things. Um, it just reminded me of a question that I've, I've been thinking about for a little while. It's something that I heard on a podcast and I'm not going to, I'm not going to mention the specific, uh, athlete who they were discussing, but obviously every once in a while you'll see athletes get in trouble. You know, you'll see them do something reckless. Um, you know, something that they get in trouble under, they get arrested for certain things. Um, and on this particular podcast, they were saying that this particular athlete, they believed that his recklessness and his desire for living in dangerous situations is actually part of what made him so great because in his particular sport, he almost was able to compete because there is no fear of anything. It's like, I live a fearless life. So when I'm competing, I compete fearlessly. Is that, you think that's accurate or is that BS? You know what I mean? Like, I, can, I have seen that personally. Yes, yeah. absolutely. There are certain way that people are wired, like yeah. just the way they are wired that puts them in a position to make them a lot more effective uh, just because the way they're wired. No mental skills training. They didn't read a book. They didn't watch a podcast. But because the way they are wired, uh, it puts them in a, in a very good position. Um, so, for example, even, even biologically, I can't remember his name. There is a famous rock climber who climbed the face of um, – you know, it it's on Netflix. Um, oh. He has a documentary. I know you're is. talking about. I can't remember his name. It's called Free Solo, but I forgot yes, his that's name. Him. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so the rock climber talking about Free Solo, if, you've, if yeah. anyone's ever seen it, oh, they talk awesome. about his amygdala. They, they actually ran brain scans and they show his amygdala. So he literally doesn't have the part of the brain like we do that triggers fear. And so the way he is actually made, the way his brain is wired, he doesn't have fear, which makes him an elite rock climber. He's willing to risk and do things that no one would do, not because he's mentally tough or fearless. It's because that's how his brain is. He's literally wired that way. And so when you hear things like that, when I hear this recklessness, now what I also want to say is I don't want to use it as a cop-out like, oh, yeah, that's, 
oh, oh, that's okay that they do things off the field, which is it's 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 not right. It's not accurate. It's, right. It's, right. Uh, uh, however, there are certain characteristics that people have that just make them a, that that help them in their sport. We even see it physically as well. Uh, like a Mike, uh, Michael Phelps, uh, he is built as a swimmer. He is he is a freak, a swimming freak. The long arms, the torso, the big hands. He has he has flippers for feet. He's built that way. I think yeah. some people mentally are just wired, um, like like football players. There's some guys who are wired a certain way to make them just fearless. Um, and again, and they just, they can go and jump in the piles or go do things that the average person won't do, but that's how they're wired. But then again, like you said, it can manifest in a negative way. You have adverse, uh, effects or, or uses of it outside. It can be, it can be harmful and dangerous at worst. Yeah, and I think it's, a, it's just a really interesting balance. You, I mean, I think you have some people that will say, well, if they're not able to do those things off the field, you know, those reckless things that they might, the ways they might live, then if it affects them on the field, then how, like, how do you balance those two things? And I imagine as a, a mental coach, you, is it possible to harness that and make sure they off the field, they're doing the right things and not getting in trouble, but while keeping that um, intensity and putting it in on the field? Or does it, is that possible? Does that make sense? Yeah, so I don't think you can make sure they can, they're going to be not reckless off the field. I think you can provide resources for these athletes uh, to help them make better decisions. So in professional sports, so I'm just so everybody understands just kind of the nature and I'm glad you brought this up. So I am a mental performance coach, uh, Lauren Johnson, mental performance coach. Our, our education is in performance psychology, focus, confidence, uh, motivation, team cohesion, leadership, team dynamic, dynamic dynamics on the field. We are strictly on the field components, part of the coaching staff. We also have housed in every organization I'm with our clinical psychologist, uh, psychiatrist, uh, therapist to help with what you are talking about as well. And so the therapist or the psychiatrist and psychologist and myself will work together. I'll help the player on the field. They'll help with the player off the field and, and we'll do whatever we can to help, especially with the confidentiality of, of the player and help with the player who won't share anything that doesn't need to be shared or won't be shared, but always working with the player. But yeah, I think uh, at the, at the major league NFL Olympic le uh, level, you have resources to help players um, navigate the off, off field stuff, um, which does come up. You see it all over media as well. Um, but yeah, it's, um, it's, Easier said than done for some, yeah, but uh, but yeah, sure. it's definitely yeah. something that these teams are providing resources for the athletes. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. That's good. That's good to know the difference um, that you just yeah. described right now of mental yeah. performance coach on the field, on, strictly on the field. And like, that's yeah. your education. That's where you come from. Exactly. Um, so I'll have a player come up with me and share like depression symptoms or high, highly mm. anxiety where, okay, that's not what I went to school for. That's outside mm. of my lane. Let me introduce yeah. you to Dr. So-and-so. Let me introduce you to Dr. Right. So-and-so. You can trust her. You can trust him. And, right. uh, and, and, and um, they will help you the best that they yeah. can. Yeah. yeah. I think that's good advice for new coaches too. If yeah. they, cause sometimes they will want to try to take on all of that or they think they have to. And that's good yes. for them to hear like any listeners right now that are going to be a head coach or, new coach or in the few, the first few years of their coaching, just to know that they don't have to take all of that on that they yes. can take, have their players go to different resources for all that stuff. Absolutely. Absolutely. Great point. Yeah. That's good. Um, sorry, Josh, did you have a question? I cut you off. Oh, I have a million we questions. cut each other off. I have, okay. I have a, the, question, <laughs> yeah. the questions don't <laughs> stop with me, but yeah, if you have them, go ahead. 
Um, <laughs> well, I just, well, just right now with, you know, the pandemic, COVID-19, coronavirus, whatever you want to call it. The, I mean, obviously it's rocked everyone's world. And, um, you know, especially, you know, with this platform, athletes um, and coaches, athletes are just dying to just go out and play right now. And um, do you, I guess, do you have any advice for them of just how to, um, I mean, <laughs> we just talked about how this is not what you do mentally deal with it outside of <laughs> off the field, but like, what can they, I guess, I guess, what can they, what can they do? What can they mentally work on? What advice do you have for coaches and athletes during this time right now? No, I think that's a great question. This is the bulk of what I do right now. Now, okay. what you just asked is yeah. literally what I do every day because, okay. as you said, this is the environment, this is the situation we're all in. Yeah. I think uh, number one is to normalize how you feel. I, I think it's important for coaches to normalize how kids feel. A lot of times you're going to see these, this advice going out, hey, just be positive. Just trust the process. Hey, it's, 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 a, it's all right. We're all in it. Well, that's coming from a very good place. What I can also do is minimize how people are feeling. Right. You can't force feelings and you can't shove your feelings onto people. And so I think one of the things immediately is to allow people to feel how they want to feel. If you're sad, that's normal to feel sad. It's normal to feel angry. It's normal to be worried. It's normal to be, to be frustrated with the actions or inaction of, other, of others. It's completely normal. One thing I would suggest is to pay attention to how you feel. And we say it, name it to tame it. And maybe not uh, eliminate, don't think you're going to eliminate negativity or eliminate stress. You're not going to eliminate it. But if you could turn the volume down from a 10 to a nine, or even a 10 to a nine and a half to an eight, that's great. That's great. And so I think number one is normalizing it. Number two is helping athletes making sure you have the physio fundamentals down. But I, what I mean by that is sleep eating right, and exercise. I think that is so huge, is getting those. And by when I say exercise, it's you don't have access to the gyms that we used to have. We don't have access to strength and conditioning coach we used to have. Even if it's something simple, even if it's something that gets your heart rate up, even run to the corner and back five times. That's it. That's it. Yeah. And, and not to beat up on yourself. And so I think getting the physio fundamentals down is, is critical. Uh, number three is, is more of a priming thing. Don't be surprised if your motivation begins to drop. There we go. Going back into motivation. Don't be surprised if you feel less motivated to do things that you used to love to do. And a lot of times the guys are starting to panic. They're like, wait, I don't, I don't love to play baseball as much anymore. I don't feel driven to go work out. I don't feel driven to go shoot basketballs in, in, the, in, the, uh, in the driveway. I don't feel driven to, to do push-ups or sit-ups. Completely normal. We're all going through it. Experience it. Take a knee. Take some time off. That, that's completely okay given the circumstance that we're in. Next that I would suggest is to staying connected to your loved ones, obviously. I mean, maybe not so obviously. Um, that is incredibly important. Uh, surrounding yourself with fountains, fountains of energy and optimism. And then lastly, I would say, re kind of revamp your why. Reconnect to your purpose. People forget that your why can change. You can even create a temporary why. Uh, one just to get you through this coronavirus quarantine. What could be your why right now? And, and it doesn't have to be noble. It doesn't have to be something you share with people. It can be completely private. I know a lot of people who are embarrassed to share their why with me because they're like, oh, it kind of sounds, I kind of sound like a jerk. I sound selfish. This is, this is my why. And then I ask them, like, what does it do to you? They're like, oh, it motivates me. It drives me. It makes me want to work. 
well, great. It's your, you're not getting, there's no award for the, the most noble why. Your why should drive you. And they're like, it does. So great, use it. Like you don't need anyone's permission for your why. It's, if it's going to do that to you, it's going to do that to you. And um, I'm sorry, last one is having a routine. Just making sure you, you have a daily routine. Um, and you'll, you'll trial and error. You'll see how much you need in it, how much you don't need. But I think that's, the, that's I think those pieces of tips or principles might keep people busy. Yeah. I, no, I love it. The more advice, the better, just because <laughs> I feel, well, and I feel so bad for all these athletes right now that are like, what do I do? What is my purpose now? What is, cause they link their identity so much to the sport. And yes. I a lot of personally, I know a lot of athletes who are struggling right now and it's just, I don't know what to tell them or how to help yeah. them. So I think that was great advice. Exactly. And, and for, exactly. And I think you brought up a good point too, is don't underestimate the power of what you, what you just said is, is, is of listening to these athletes. And I think a lot of time, especially in my job as, as a, a listener, it's easy to listen and want to come in and give advice, want to come in and fix it. Oh, just focus on what you can control. Hey, just take it one day at a time. That might be great, but sometimes it might be even more cathartic, cathartic and more effective to listen and just say, oh yeah, that does, that, that does stink. Oh, that is hard. You're, you're absolutely right. Okay, man, I'm yeah. sorry. And then, so we have that. And then helping them find their own answers. So I'll get an athlete or, or a coach or anybody. Oh, this, they're going through all this. They, they share their, their burden, so to speak. And then you'll listen and then you'll say, okay, so man, that's, that's difficult. So, so what are you going to do about it? Like, what, what, so what are you going to do about it? Oh, um, to basically, instead of me telling them what to do, having them put themselves in the driver's seat and having them solve their own problems. Well, you know what? I think I should sell. I think I should start doing this. Oh, that's a great idea. Why? Oh, cool. Any, who do you think can help you throughout this? Oh, my, my mom, my grandma. When's the last time you talked to your grandma? Oh, it's been a while. Yeah. Wow. That would be a good idea to talk to her. I'm not suggesting it. The athlete is suggesting it. And so giving them questions to help them find their own tools to survive as, as opposed to shoving it down their throats. Love it. Yeah, that's great that's, advice. That's really Love good. it. Absolutely. Yeah, it's good. Um, this is this is not as a, a serious question at all, but it just reminded me. So obviously now, like you watch ESPN, I mean, there's not really anything to cover, right? They're kind yeah. of repeating old stories or talking about different things. But one of the things that you've seen a lot lately is they have these uh, like video game matches, right? Like you have yeah. NBA players playing 2K <laughs> against each other, football players playing Madden. Um, and so obviously in the last few years, esports has become a bigger thing. Has yep. Has mental conditioning kind of cracked that world? Yes. I have Such a weird thought. Who, <laughs> I have friends who specifically, exclusively work with eSport athletes, elite eSport athletes. Yep. Wow. That's such, it's yep. such a weird, I guess, I don't know, maybe I'm too old. It's such a weird thing to think about. Yeah. It, it's, it's amazing to see the, the money that's going into there. It's, it's a growing business. It's, uh, I mean, even myself, I used to work with hairstylists. I used to do this with elite hairstylists, like who works on Beyonce's hair and work on Jennifer Lopez hair. And, and what I love about this is, is, is just the principle is that elite athletes or coaches don't have the corner market on optimizing performance. We have hairstylists and, and insurance agents and grocery store clerks. All of us are, are going through stressful experiences and all of us want to uh are trying to enhance our mental optimize our mental performance and yeah it's just it's not uh, exclusive mental performance training mental skills training brain training whatever you want to call it isn't uh, exclusively for elite um, athletes okay 
I would, that's crazy. I would be terrified to do Beyonce's hair. That would be a <laughs> serious thing for me. <laughs> I, could, yeah. I could see why a, a performance coach would be necessary for that. <laughs> yeah. hey, so, um, you know, one of the questions I wanted to ask you is, is there a, an athlete, um, past or present that you feel epitomizes like peak mental performance? Like when you see them compete, you just see like, okay, when I'm, when I'm talking to people about, um, you know, mental, mental, you know, toughness, mental strength, all of those things, leadership, this is kind of the first person that comes to mind. And then also, is there a specific maybe moment in that person's career that you can look at and say, okay, this is an incredible, like masterpiece of mental toughness right here. Does that make sense? That was kind of a lengthy question. No, that's a great, great question. That's a really good question. Okay. Here, so here's, here's the, here's a caveat to this. So a lot of times I'm going to give you an answer. So I'm, I'm stalling okay. while I think about one while okay. I'm talking. Yeah. Um, just to be good for, so I will get questions like uh, when Tiger was scuffling, what would you tell Tiger Woods? Or, or when LeBron was scuffling, what would you tell LeBron in this situation? And especially as you see the nuance of my job, I would say I would tell them that I don't know. I have so many questions. You can't just tell an athlete as a fan looking from the outside um, to see, tell how mentally tough or not somebody is given their circumstance, um, hard to put a finger on it. So I'm immediately going to people I personally know because I know their real journey. So I couldn't speak to Tom Brady. I couldn't speak to any of these people I do not personally know, but one in particular that I would say myself and she would allow me to say it. Uh, she's the 2014 fittest woman on earth, CrossFit champion, Camille leblanc Bazinier. Um, she, uh, epitomizes mental toughness in terms of her attention, the detail, uh, her, her, her willingness to uh, take the mental game and to learn how to, how to adjust. She, we listed all of her beliefs in her life from a little girl to now, and she, she overturned everyone. Are, are these beliefs serving me anymore? Uh, she looked at all of her relationships in her life and to see which ones that she's struggling with. And to have those crucial conversations with those people because that might be a little bit of a burden on her that she might be taking onto the field. And she, and she ended up uh, doing that as well. Uh, she did uh, so many things from breath work to visualization and had so many things happening off the mat and outside of the gym that she accepted. She walked through. She shared her vulnerability. Uh, she is the epitome um, of someone who I've seen in the best of times. And I've seen in the worst of times who held strong uh, to her, uh, her, her values and her training and went through it. And uh, it was neat to, to watch it firsthand. Uh, Camille LeBlanc-Bazinier. And so uh, yeah, 2014 or 16 uh, CrossFit champion of the world. You go, girl. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> Those athletes are, are crazy intense. That's awesome. Yeah. Aww. Yeah. That is awesome. Um, I, well, <laughs> I guess we don't need to ask this question because we kind of talked about it this whole time, but we always ask our guests because this is the character combine podcast, as you know. And so we always like to ask our guests, what, um, what is the definition of character to you and how important is it for um, coaches to, you know, teach that to their athletes, um, you know, during gameplay practice outside of practice and gameplay. Yeah. So character to me, I think it's kind of like mental toughness. So, so you'll hear people say, okay, I want my athletes to be mentally tough. It's mm -hmm. like, what does that even mean? Like, what, what, is, what does mentally tough even mean? Yeah. Um, and so the way I look at mental toughness, then I'll come back to your question, yeah. is mental toughness is 
how you actualize a number of different things. So for example, mentally, a mentally tough person, there are different facets to mental toughness, in my opinion. You have confidence, you have an athlete's focus, you have an athlete's uh, resilience, you have an athlete's um, uh, uh, arousal control, and they have a certain level or ability to, uh, to deploy those. So you have an athlete who's very confident, but they lack focus. Okay, so we gotta, let's work on a focus to, to at least enhance it a little bit. You have someone who's highly focused, but they lack motivation. And so mm-hmm. mental toughness, in my opinion, and I think it's better like mental flexibility, is their ability to, there's a lot of different components to it. I think character is the exact same way. I think character is a combination of someone's integrity, uh, their value system, their integrity, their perspective, the way they treat people, uh, their effort level, their attitude, a lot of things. And so I would say character to me is how someone operationalizes or deploys or manifests um, uh, their values, the things that matter most to them. And I think uh, people who do it at the, at the highest level um, with high character are the people who, who, who they not only, they aren't defined by what they do. The way they define themselves is how they treat people and, and how um, it's more than just the sport. And I'm just kind of, I want to be, I'm, I'm trying to be articulate, but I'm, going opposite i'm going backwards and i'm stumbling over this because character is so important and when we hire for people when we do the draft we look at character what's their character like um who are they at the core i think that's that's what what do they value how do they value other people um like at at their soul level if that doesn't sound too cheesy no that's good. No, that's great yeah that's, great. that's just it's great for i think it's great for athletes to hear especially young athletes when you know, social media is involved and there's a lot to, there's a lot at stake with things that they post. And so, you know, we try to, as coaches and um, teachers or, you know, just, you know, just through this uh, platform, we try to warn athletes of just, um, just be careful what you put out there and just, um, just know that coach, you know, at any level, coaches are hopefully looking at your character um, aside from your skill level. Yeah. And I, and I like that a lot of times, like you have the age old question is, is, are you born with mental toughness or can you teach it? And the question I have is someone might have is, are you born with your character or can you teach someone to enhance character? Can you teach their character? And, mm-hmm. and I don't know if you've had people talk about that before. I'm curious in your answers. I don't know if you have time for that today, but I would say that it's a little bit of a combination of both. So you'll have your athletes who come in and some are, I think it's like speed. Some kids are just fast, like just absolutely fast. They've never had a speed coach. They've never had a speed training. They just fly. They are just fast. That's just how they were wired. But then you give them a little bit of speed training, and then all of a sudden, they're even faster. It's even better. Or you have a kid who's maybe not that fast. Give him some speed training. And while he might not be the fastest kid, you improved him a little bit. So I think the same thing with, with character. I mean, I, I think because of the kids, the way some kids are raised, some kids are just naturally humble. They're just humble. And some kids, you have to teach them, hey, here's a book on humility. Learn it. And, uh, <laughs> like, like, here's a book. Some kids are just naturally really yeah. good teammates. They're just naturally positive. And then other people, okay, let me give you a positivity course 101. Let me teach you how to be more positive and like work on it. And so, uh, so yeah, I think it is a combination of both, both, which is why I think your guys' platform is amazing. I think it's amazing. 
Well, thank you. We, we appreciate thank that you. for sure. Yeah. Especially coming from you, man. That's, that's, uh, yeah. we definitely appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, um, thanks. And I, I don't, I want to be respectful of your time, so we won't keep you too much longer, but something you said about mental toughness and your, your answer about character, this made me think of this is, uh, it's such a weird thing I feel with social media now. Um, you know, you can pick any athlete, any comparison, you can compare Tom Brady to Joe Montana, uh, LeBron to Jordan. And so many times on social media, people are spending their time arguing about whether this person is mentally tough. And like you said, like, how can you, the bottom line is they're a way better athlete than any of us. So we should just be enjoying their skill or their craft rather than arguing about something that you really can't put a, a measurable on. So it's just a I, yes. Yeah. So I don't know if that's a yeah. right question. It's just like, to your point, like, I, I love what you said about that. Cause we spend a lot of time doing that. I mean, I'm, I've done it before. Not, I don't do it on social media because uh, I like to think I'm 31 years old and I would never do that. But, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, in conversations with friends and stuff, we definitely do that for sure. And it's like, why, what's the point? Right. And, and I think it's, it's funny you say that because I think we do that with movies. Who's the best musician or best right. movie out there. And, and a lot yeah. of times it comes down to opinion and some of them, they're great conversations. They're hilarious conversations. Yeah, then all they, they turn into, then they turn into roast sessions, and then it just gets out of hand. <laughs> then it can yeah. be, it, it can become yeah. unproductive, and even like almost uh, like when you see it happen on social media, where it's hard, it's, it comes down to just people's opinions. Like at the end of the day, and it, it's hard, and and people trying to spit facts, and and yeah, it's, it's difficult to quantify. And so I uh, personally, I'll look at some of these conversations, and you can just spend hours thinking about like like debating who's the most mentally tough in the world it's like why we're trying to figure out how to even quantify it in this with science we don't even know how to do that yet um my contemporaries with navy seals or olympians we can't even quantify it and so it's everyone can give their opinion but at the end of the day it's it's all opinions right well i feel like i've heard people say too and and you as a as a as a mental coach you could probably speak to this when people hop online and want to say these things you hear a lot of people say there's probably something internally with them that they're not happy with. So it's easy to punch up at someone who's, you know, doing amazing things when in the reality is the reason you're doing that is because there's something inside of you that's maybe not happy or not um, satisfied. And so it's like, well, if I take shots, at least I can say I took a shot at LeBron online and you know what I'm saying? It's like, at least I have something going for me. It's a very, yeah, it's really, yeah. It's really interesting how a lot of, we all have access to people now. Now it's, um, right. you can hide, we have keyboard warriors. You can hide behind the keyboard and, and a yeah. fake username right. and, you can take shots and, and throw your opinion out there. And yeah, it's crazy. It's the world we live in. But uh, to, to your point, Deb, I think now like coaches are looking at your behavior online. Be very careful and be very aware with how you treat yourself. Be polite. Be respectful. Be kind. Like That goes a long way because coaches and general managers and scouts are watching. They are watching mm-hmm. closely and you don't even realize it. Yep. Exactly. That's good. Yeah. That's good. That was good. That's like a mic drop <laughs> statement. Man, you had, you had a couple of mic drops in this episode. So Yeah, more than a couple. More than a couple. Yeah. Um, yeah. So before we get out of here, we like to ask this last question, not really a question, but do you have any, uh, any final thoughts you have for athletes, coaches, parents, any level, um, you know, final thoughts before we get out of here, the floor is yours. Um, I would just say just reiterating the importance of realizing that um, you're a work in progress. I think I think it's very, very easy in these, this day and age to compare where you are to where other people are and to beat up on yourself because you're not as good, you're not as fast, you're not as, as talented as somebody else. 
and to really realize that you have to love the process. Fall in love with the process, fall in love with the journey, and let the results take care of themselves. Don't do it for the gram, don't do it for the likes, don't do it for the follower count, don't do it to be seen. Uh, do, it to, uh, do it to be better instead of, instead of trying to look, do it to be good instead of, instead of looking good. And, um, and I think that if you keep that in mind, you just focus on what you can control, it's gonna help you go a long way. Awesome. That's great. Love it. That's a great last advice. Where can, they, uh, where can they follow you? Um, you have, you're also an author too. So um, or the books, all that stuff, where can they get? Yeah, so I wrote a couple of books. So, so, mentally tough, uh, so Mentally Tough Teens. I just heard that it's out of print. I didn't know that. So I got to call oh. my publisher to get it back into print. Okay. Um, oh. So there's that one. But then the other one's called Parents Pep Talks. And all it is, it's, oh. a, it's like a manual for moms and dads and coaches and basically teaching moms, dads, and coaches on how to be mental skills coaches. So for example, a lot of parents and coaches are telling their kids, hey, believe in yourself, be confident, relax, but they're not giving the athletes strategies on how to do those things. It's like, great, okay, teach them progressive muscle relaxation. Here's how to teach them how to meditate. Here's, here's a one, two, three, and how to teach them how to have confidence. And so it's giving the parents tools so uh, they can have, um, uh, kind of some activities to actually give their kids to do as opposed to just telling them what to do. And then the other way to play, place to find me is uh, Instagram at Justin Sua. And that's where you'll, you'll see my podcast and all that other stuff there. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Go that's going to, that is a great book for, I think, parents and coaches to, oh, yeah. would, to get a hold of it. Sounds like it would be that last one that you just said. That is oh, awesome. awesome. That would be yeah, that one. for our, yeah. for our, uh, our demographic, for sure. That would be a really yes. positive, oh, cool. uh, positive thing. Yeah. So that's great, man. So, yeah. uh, Hey, we appreciate you uh, coming through, taking the time out of your uh, yeah. crazy schedule. So, uh, this is fun. I could have, I could have done this for like hours, man. I know. Thanks a lot. You guys are great. I, you guys are great. Thank, appreciate the conversation. Thank, thank you for your time. We really, really, we know you're busy and you have, you know, a lot going on and, you know, family stuff and trying to spend time with family. So we appreciate you coming on talking with us. Thank you so much for having me, guys. This is, uh, this is yeah. fun. Cool. Yeah. And then, Deb, where can right. they follow us before we get out of here? You guys can follow us on Twitter at Sports Character, Instagram at Character Combine, Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube. Is that all? I think that's it. Yeah. That's it. That's it. That's it. Awesome. Justin, right. thank you so much. And take thank care. Thank you. And be safe. Thank you guys so much.